Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. You are watching via live stream or on Facebook Live. We welcome you. We pray that this message truly impacts you and blesses you. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 27. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. For those of you who are Spanish speaking, we will have that interpreted for you as well. And there will be a translation up on the screen. It says this, immediately, say immediately. Immediately Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So notice that he gave them a command and he knew, does God know what's going to happen all the time? Do we all believe that? He knows what's going to happen all the time. He knows when he gives you a command, when something terrible pops up as you obey him, it does not surprise God. Look at somebody and nudge them with your, don't hurt them because people are looking for lawsuits and stuff. Just nudge them just a little. Okay. (laughs) Don't hit Mr. Reynolds too hard. He'll Say, God knows what he's doing. So he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening had come, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea. Now, this sea that they're talking about is the Sea of Galilee, which is really more like a lake It's about seven miles wide. So they're in the middle of the sea and they're being tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Say it was contrary. Sometimes I park on these scriptures, but there are times when God will tell you to do something and then you enter into that season or that venture or that relationship or whatever that obedience for you looks like, you will enter into that out of obedience to him and things begin to seem contrary. Does everybody understand what contrary means? It looks opposite of what God said. So there are times when we obey and we say things like this to the Lord. I obeyed you and if I obeyed you, why are things contrary? We don't talk to God like that. Well, why aren't things working out the way that they should? But just because you're facing difficulty out of obedience doesn't mean that you're not where God wants you to be. As a matter of fact, it's a sign. I see people laughing. Today is going to be fun. I can already see. It's a sign that you are where you are supposed to be. So the wind was contrary. Say it was contrary. But now, take note of this, the fourth watch, because the, the writer here, Matthew, He's a tax collector, so he's, he's a numbers guy, okay? He's a numbers guy. He's, he's methodical in his gospel, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The, the, all the gospels are written different, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But Matthew in particular, his, his gospel is much longer because usually people who are with engineered minds, uh, like Rick, You know, he, he's very good at explaining. He's a teacher. Matthew, he, he's a teacher. He's a numbers guy. So he, he's not putting this in here for no reason. And we'll explain what the fourth watch of the night is. So he, Jesus came to them 
on the fourth watch of the night, walking on the sea. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, and this is my context for this morning. They said, it's a ghost. Everybody say, it's a ghost. Rick doesn't like when I say Holy Ghost. I'm going to say it just to make him mad this morning. It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Look at somebody and say, don't be afraid. No matter what you're facing this morning, don't be afraid. Listen, look at me, everybody. Don't be afraid of that relational difficulty. Don't be afraid of that transition that God is about to make you go through. Yeah, I feel transition, a whole lot of transition in the room. The, the, God is putting you, you, it's like you can't help but move with God. And when we don't obey him with, uh, by hearing him, if we have trouble hearing him, he uses circumstances to push us out. You see that? If we can't hear him, or if we refuse to obey his word, or his leadings, or his promptings, God will set up circumstances whereby he pushes you out into the sea. John chapter 6, and I'll read this, and then we can have our seats. John chapter 6, verse 15 through 21 will be up on the screen. This is the same context, except for this particular writer, John the Beloved. He makes sure to make sure you know that he's the Beloved when he's, when he's writing this, the one whom Jesus loved. That was really funny, but y'all didn't laugh. Y'all are, don't be a dry crowd this morning. He refers to himself as John the Beloved. That's like saying Pastor Donnie the Beloved or something like that. So he makes sure, but listen, listen to the different angle here. Watch this. This other gospel, it's the same context, but he says something different. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, went over toward Capernaum, which by the way, it means comfort. Capernaum's translated into Hebrew means comfort. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. And then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat and they were afraid. But this is the difference in this scripture. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was on the land where they were going. You may have your seats. As you're making your way down to your seat, some are gonna be a little bit slower than others, but as you make your way down, I want you to say this. Say, it's a ghost. I want to minister from a subject this morning called This Can't Be God. This Can't Be God. Can I tell you what's super intimidating? Um, is each week I stand here, sometimes two or three, three days a week behind the pulpit, and it's a very intimidating thing because to preach God's word is holy, is a holy thing. If I find out somebody's not living right, they will not stand behind this pulpit. If they're not treating their wife right or children right, this is a sacred stool. It's really a cypress tree, but it's, it's a pulpit. But it's holy. And God, somebody who's holy requires holiness from us. It's a holy thing. So that being said, 
anybody who preaches God's word or ministers or teaches his word should have some level of holy fear. Some level. And each week I tremble before I, I come in here because I'm genuinely asking God, yes, I want to preach a fun sermon, something that's applicable to your personal lives. When I look over this room, there's so many different needs that are going on that are represented here. So many hurts, aches, physical pains. You know, there's different diseases happening. There's marriage issues happening. There's people who are battling with their children. All the people with children say amen. And so I have a holy fear because, because I, want, I want to say what God says Amen. and what he's saying. I don't want to just preach a neat, a neat message. And here's what's most intimidating of all. And I've been walking with the Lord for now 21 years is because I am teaching about someone who I still am limited in knowing. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? You know, there's teachers. Do I have any teachers in the room to some degree? you would admit that there are still some things that you don't know. Well, when it comes to God, he's so vast, he's so large, he's so wide, he's so deep that I'm up here communicating about somebody that I know only to degrees. And these disciples knew Jesus. They knew who he was. They walked with him for three and a half years. Actually, as a matter of fact, if we're looking at this scripture in context, if we would reverse just one or two verses before. Do you know what had just happened? Jesus had just fed, it says 5,000 people, but really, if you do the mathematics, it says it wasn't counting women and children, meaning that if there were 5,000 men there and there was one husband and one child, that would mean there were 15,000 people there and Jesus just fed a whole multitude with 12 baskets left over with just five loaves and two fish. These disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, all of them were there to watch Jesus do this miracle. And now they're in the middle of, of the sea and the Bible is saying that they are fearing for their life as if God didn't know what they were gonna get into when he commanded them to get into the middle of the sea. And so I wanna teach a message called this can't be God because oftentimes God allows situations in our lives. He puts us in situations in our lives where we misinterpret who he is. When we look at the Bible, we oftentimes skip over lamentations and we get right into Psalms where, you know, God leads me beside still waters. But that is a part of God. But that's only one of many facets of God. There are many dimensions to God. If you catch me on Sunday morning, you're going to see a side of Donnie that you've never seen before. You hear me touch three people and say, amen. I might get like T.D. Jakes or something and start shaking my head and say, touch three people, say, get ready, get ready, get ready. But then you see me Monday through Friday and you probably won't get three words out of me. Just ask my wife. She's like, look at me. No, I do talk a lot. You do tell me I talk a lot. Sometimes. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because some of you have roles as teachers in, in a school and that's one side of you that the children know. But they don't know your husband's side. They don't know the side about you when you get angry or come out of character. 
You know, some of you sit here on Sunday morning and I have no earthly idea of what your giftings are, but some of you are mathematicians and can do numbers and type in numbers and are really good at saving and you have different gift settings. Well, God is like this. And I have found out that it's absolutely impossible to learn all of God that he has to offer in one lifetime. And the thing is, is the reason I get very, very humbled really easy by getting behind this pulpit, because for 21 years I've been on a quest to find out new dimensions of God. So I have found him as the Prince of Peace, and I've also found out that he's a God that supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus when I slept on the floor for over a decade and couldn't buy a mattress. I understand that he's a God who can be with me in there and I can be just as satisfied sleeping on a floor as I can be as satisfied sleeping on a four foot high mattress. He's many different things. And where here's where people lose God in certain seasons of their lives is that they misinterpret God and they looked at him as he was coming on the water walking to them and they said when they saw him walking on the sea they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were troubled. I got a feeling that there's certain people in here, and there's many of you, that are in a transition where you have to make tough decisions. Transition, say transition. And you're in the middle of obeying God, but now that you're in the middle of it, it doesn't look like God is gonna meet you where he told you to go. Does everybody hear what I'm saying this morning? Many times he'll give you the command, go I'll meet you on the other side. And then we obey him. And now they're thinking he's a ghost because God oftentimes changes his forms and transition. Now he'll never change his nature. His nature is the same. He never, I, the Lord never changed. That's what the Bible says, but he will change his oftentimes his forms on how he deals with us, depending on how he deals with us. Don't tell me he doesn't use hardship in our life. Just look who he used to get him to the cross. The most important moment in history, Jesus goes to the cross. Do you know why many rejected that? Because they thought he was supposed to be a world leader and ruler. But then he sends himself to the cross. Is a different methodology he's using. He's changing forms. They wanted him to come in as a lion, but he changed his form into a lamb who was led to the slaughter and opened not his mouth. You see, many times we want him to be a lamb in our situation, but none of us will move until he gets roaring at us. Yeah. Some of you need a lamb. Some of you are very broken and can't handle the lion in God. And God has to be a lamb to you and lead you by still waters. He'll change his form based on your personality, where you are in your walk with him. Because he knows how to handle our dysfunctions. I say, notice I say our dysfunctions. So he'll change forms. Say he'll change forms. And there are times and seasons we'll go through to well, we'll say this, this cannot be the Lord. In other words, the disciples knew him to be God who was powerful, who multiplied five loaves and two fish just verses earlier. He called Lazarus forth. Lazarus, come forth out of that grave. He came, came out bound hand and foot. He, they were known, he was known to them as the guy who opened blind eyes, who healed the sick, who raised the dead, who did all these significant miracles 
John, the gospel of John records 10 major miracles. They knew him to be all of that. But as soon as God puts them in a difficult situation, they call him a ghost. In other words, I don't recognize you. I know that every season that you guys have ever gone through and I've gone through, we've always recognized it was the hand of God leading us, right? Not. We will often say, this can't be God. I remember when I was going through the most difficult season with my, my son, Cohen, and I was looking at the scripture. I say, I did everything in accordance with your word, and yet I'm feeling betrayed I'm feeling broken. He's 10 now. This started when he was one. And I said this very scripture, or this scripture and this title, this can't be God. This is where we have to be careful, and I was dangerous in my prayers and my askings of God. Teach me to love like you love. Teach me to be touched with the feelings of your infirmity. And then everybody you love or that person you truly, genuinely would give your life for rejects you. Only then will you get a glimpse of God. That's another side of God. Yes, he's a lion, but he's also a lamb. And in order to understand all of God, you can't just see the good sides of him. You have to see the crucifixion. You have to experience the rejection. You have to experience the betrayal or you will know a limited savior. But there's many folds, manifold grace of God, many folds to him. And so there in the middle of the sea, a ghost is walking to them seemingly on water. And the primary reason that I believe that people backslide or grow lukewarm or apathetic in their relationship with Jesus, and that begins to shift, and it's because they're shifting from God because he's moving in their lives in a new form that confuses them, and they walk away from God instead of embracing him. Do you see that? So we have to be careful when God is allowing difficult seasons in our life to not drift from him. Instead, drift towards him. They were drifting away. This is a ghost. In other words, God's not going to show up like this and allow this kind of difficult situation in my life. He's too good for that. He's only good. But honestly, in his chastising of our lives, in the chastening of our lives, do you know what that means? It means the discipline of the Lord. There's love in his discipline. There's love. Again, I just said it just a few moments ago. If we don't obey him or we don't have the ability to hear his voice, he will use difficult situa situations to lead us into the center of his will. This is what, how good God is. In other words, he can get the job done without you even listening to him. Amen. That's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. Where are the parents at in the room? Have you been a parent, grandparent? You know when the kids don't listen to you and you start getting frustrated and then you start using measures that you wouldn't normally use? Hopefully not a measuring stick. But God will. Somebody, somebody just looked. I did that yesterday. God will use difficult measures in our lives to simply get his will done no matter what it takes and he's more concerned he's more concerned with getting the job done in your life 
than he is with your comfort and my comfort. Did you know that? He's, he's, he's more adamant about, I need him, I need her to get here by this time. And he can't hear me right now. They can't hear me right now. They don't understand my leading or there's mistrust or there's dysfunctions in our own heart that cause our heart to go astray. Yes, I'm in church, but yet my heart is over here. God will use circumstances to recalibrate you and position you for the blessing. Did you not see in the verse of scripture where I read John when they finally invited that which seemed like a ghost into the boat immediately they were where they needed to be? When difficulties are happening, that is a sign that you're in the middle of his will, but you're not on shore yet. You're not where in the promised land yet. And here's what I found out. Look how quick that happened. Can I just read that again? I just felt in my spirit. This is not in my notes right here. It says, they will, when they willingly finally received him into the boat, immediately the boat was at land where they were going. In other words, their, their refusal to let, them, let him into that difficult situation just prolong the difficulty. So when, 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 it's, when, when you're really aggravated at the Lord, when you're pushing away in your heart, I'm not talking about not coming to church. I'm talking about in your heart. People can't see past the necklace. God can see past the necklace. He can see past the bumper sticker. He can see past the rakaka and shabaka. He can, he can see past the Christianese. He can see past blessed and highly favored. How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? He can see past all of that. He can see when the heart is distanced from the Lord. When God begins to shift is when you surrender and say, get on my boat, no matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult it is, just get on my boat. And that's when ultimately God begins to shift seasons because when we surrender, it's a sign that we're ready for whatever God wants to do in our lives. I don't know about you, but whatever he's doing, I don't want to do anything that's going to prolong or extend that season in my life. I remember when, how many people would show up on a bad Sunday? And it doesn't even matter anymore because it still feels like it in my heart. But I remember I wouldn't turn around. I said, I'm not looking back there. There's nobody here. And the Lord would say, just keep me in your boat. We're going to get there. Just keep me in your boat. Just keep looking at me. And listen, I don't care what's not going right in your life right now. Stop looking for it to look right and start looking to Jesus. Because when he gets on the boat, everything begins to get right. When God steps in a room or steps into a situation or steps into your life, everything that is out of line begins to look like the kingdom. Even if it don't look like it outwardly, it'll begin to happen in your heart. There are still dysfunctions and different things going on in my life that I don't necessarily agree with God on, but I agree to disagree and say, Lord, not thy will, not my will, but thy will be done on earth. Amen. Catherine Kuhlman with her long finger. How many don't know who Catherine Kuhlman is? She'll scare you. She said, not some of me and some of thee, but none of me and all of thee. I wonder how much of your personality, your dispositions, am I being too hard on you this morning? I wonder how much of your personality is taking up so much room that there's no room for Jesus on the boat. Oftentimes, he'll leave us in the storm to work out of us. Because you know what I really believe? 
What was in them was a storm. It was just manifesting outwardly. I know that's super deep, but here's what I mean. It, it was really because there was an internal struggle. What was the struggle? If you read on to the scripture, it says, if you read on past Matthew, past the last verse that I had read when Jesus said, don't be afraid, when he finally gets in the boat, he said, Why do you, what is wrong with you guys? Okay, I'm DSV version. But still, he says, do you not remember the five loaves? He was working fear and unbelief and mistrust out of their heart. So what does the storm do? It reveals where you really are. It reveals who you are when nobody's looking. And so what is God's ultimate will for humanity? It's one. It's just one. To be conformed into the image of his son. That's God's will. For you to look like Jesus in every situation. And it doesn't count if you can't do it only when people love you. And celebrate you. Or like you. Or give to you. Come on, can I keep it coming? Or when a husband loves you right. Or when a wife treats you and waves palm branches at you and drops grapes in your mouth. It doesn't count. It don't count. I'm way more comfortable standing up and not saying anything than I used to. I used to get real insecure about that. I let it sit for a long minute. Love those. What profit is that to you, Jesus said? Even heathen do that. Even the world does that. Loves those who love them. Try loving someone who's looking in the other direction. Try serving Jesus with nobody celebrating it. You know what I have found? Countless ministers who have to have a little bit of fix of the claps and the shouts and the hallelujahs in order to keep them inspired. But the reality is, we have to all come to a place of maturity. You know what? That's what God is looking for. He's looking for maturity in all of our lives. Will we serve him when it doesn't seem to be working? Will we still obey him and follow through and not be fickle even when everything seems to be going wrong? You know what fickle means? Like nobody can count on you. God can't count on you to stick it out even when it's tough. That, that instills the character of Christ and develops the character of Christ. Is this too much this morning? Be careful. This is the thing, James. This is what God, I believe God gave me. Be careful. You know why they thought he was a ghost? Because they were trying to look at God through their circumstances. That's why he looked like a ghost. But there's another way to look at him. He'll always look like a ghost when you try to look at him through a divorce. This can't be God. Are you tracking me? This, 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 is, this can't be God when you're looking at your finances. So you're looking at, you can't look at God through your finances because he's not going to look like God. He's going to look like a ghost. This can't be God. 
Or you look at God through the storm. The disciples were looking through a storm. It was the dark of night. Everything's distorted. It doesn't look like Jesus, but there's a different way. Look at God. Look at God through your circumstances. Let me, did I say that right? Look at your circumstances through God, his eyes. In other words, looking at why can't I pay my bills? Why can't I accomplish this? Why are things not changing in my life? Why don't you look at it and thank God, thank you, Jesus, that you're allowing this to happen because it's changing me and helping me to trust you. It's developing in me Christ-like character. Do we even preach like that anymore? Christ-like character, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, it's doing something in me. The storm is doing something in me. It's making more, me more patient. It's making me trust God more. It's doing something in me. It's, that storm is removing the dross from my life so that I can be usable. Many of you, God's not using right now, not because he doesn't love you, not because you're not gifted, but your gift is mingled with something else. And the storms are coming to remove the dross so that when God puts you on some kind of a platform, whatever it is, you don't shame his name, but you stand up with Christ-like character in the middle of the battle when things aren't looking right and you follow through and don't act fickle. When you start something, you don't stop. Even when it's a marriage, even it's when it's your finances or it's your children or whatever it is, God is doing something fresh in the body of Christ. He's raising up warriors, not wimps. He's raising up people who will stand firm to see the salvation of the Lord. You know what I said to the congregation the other day? Many of you may have not have been here. And I, 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 I'm, I'm a revivalist at heart. That is my thing. That is, that is my heart. I want to see an awakening of God. I'm not talking about a two-day weekend. I'm talking about a move of the Spirit of God that humanity hasn't seen, and I believe that we're on the cusp of something great in America. I've been preaching this now for several years before this pandemic ever started, but this pandemic is lining up the stars for God to get his will done. And God's not going to waste his wine. I always ask, why did Azusa... You, you, if you've listened to me long enough, you know, you'll know what I mean. Azusa Street, back in the 1900s, early 1900s, 1906, three years, night and day, night and day, services, on and on. People were healed. People were set free. I mean, extraordinary miracles, creative miracles. God moved in a special way where his tangible presence came down and rested on this little stable for, sounds familiar, 2,000 years ago. Isn't that what God does? He visited this little church for three years. But that's never been my question, whether or not God comes and moves among a people. My question is, it would so break my heart if God would come and then leave. I, 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 read, I read these old stories and, and I listen to these 60 and 70 year olds talk about what God did with tears in their eyes. And it's not tears because of what God did. It's because... Uh, I mean, can you imagine God coming and visiting a people in that way and touching a community in that way and then lifting? Take me home when you go. Don't leave without me, Lord. I don't want to see him do something radical and then us just engineer everything and turn it into a machine after he manifests his presence because we can't. Does everybody hear my heart when I'm saying that? That's what we do. It's, he starts with a man. God comes and moves through a man. And then we turn it into a machine. You know the machine. Three worship songs, no less than seven minutes apiece. 
If we got a little bit of announcements. Don't linger in his presence, okay? Because you're really messing up the machine then. 15-minute tithing offering, half as long as the sermon, and then the prayer benediction. It's a machine. That's all it is, it's a machine. God is wanting to come and to visit his people in a tangible way. But here was my thinking. God, don't come visit us and then leave. When you touch your people, stay. Would you just stay? So here was my question for all the moves of God that have happened. And yes, I believe in awakening. I'm not knocking it. But until God creates new wineskins, which is our mind, he's not going to waste pouring out his wine on anything. God doesn't, he's not going to waste it again. Meaning when he comes, we better be faithful with what he does. When you have an encounter with Jesus, when he speaks to your heart deeply, we better respond. Because rarely does he knock. Yes, he does knock on your heart's door, but there will come a day when the knocks stop. And we have an opportunity, a window, if you will. We don't know when God's going to take us home. We have a window of time. My pastor, who was 42 when he died, it was a mega church, 10,000 people. And he said something right before he died. No one knew he was going to die. You know what he said? It was like he was speaking right to me. He said, we all have about 30 seconds on the stage. What are you going to say? David calls it, Life a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow, but a vapor. I don't know about you, but I don't want him to waste his wine. When he pours in, I want my mind to be able to, in other words, he's stretching our wineskin. Does everybody understand what I mean by wineskins? Jesus used an analogy. He said, no one can take new wine and put it into old wineskins or the wineskins would, would burst and waste the good wine. He said, you need new wineskins to put new wine in. You could study it for yourself. I don't have time to get into it. But God wants to pour out new wine in this generation. We can all sense it. You don't even have to be super spiritual to know that God is up to something right now. He's up to something. He's wanting to move among a people. He's wanting to touch his people in a mighty way. But we can't break at every little difficulty or God's not going to pour out the wine because it would get wasted. So why am I going through that? Let me make it practical. Why am I going through this? Why are you going through it, Rick? Why are we going through it, honey? Why are we going through what we're going through? Because God is strengthening your skin. So you can contain what he pours into your lives, our lives. As a church, as a community, as a nation, God is strengthening. He's thickening our skin so that when he pours out revival fire and he really awakens the church and touches the community, we don't waste what he did. He needs faithful people to steward what he's going to do in the earth. Look at somebody and say, he's strengthening your skin. Amen. Number two. Number two. So my, my first point was, be careful not to misinterpret God if you didn't catch that. Don't misinterpret him. Don't, don't, don't define him as a ghost. It's God, what you're going through. It's God. Say it's God. Some people are sitting in here looking at their timer like, man, y'all have church for two hours? Yes. Yes, we do. Number two. Number two. If he will allow you to be disturbed, that's what they were. They were disturbed in their heart. I don't know about you. Have you ever seen somebody walking on water before? 
in ghostly form. And you know, I started studying that. Why, why did the writer, I, I, I alluded to this a few minutes ago in the book of Matthew, because he, he's smart, right? He knew, he knew what he was doing. He said that, it, that Jesus came walking on water uh, the fourth watch of the night. Does everybody know what that, why would he put that there, right? You, it was there for a reason. It's because generally, witches and warlocks, I know I'm gonna get in trouble this morning, but if there's witches and warlocks, there are certain times of the morning that they wake up and they pray. Okay, y'all didn't know that? And so there's a lot of things happening in the spirit realm in the very early wee hours in the morning. Jesus would understand that because of the culture. They were bound to the culture of the times. And so were the disciples and so was the writer. And so they're freaking out even more because the certain time it is. So don't tell me Jesus didn't know when he was going to show up. The God who owns time. The fourth hour, the fourth hour, all I had to do is Google that. What is the fourth hour? Oh, and all kinds of stuff start coming up. Then it all started making sense why they thought he was a ghost. Like, why are you showing up right now? He was there to disturb the disciples to keep it going, to keep moving. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Though I what? Why are you stopping? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, the, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Though I walk, many people hit a storm and stay. They go through a divorce and they get stuck. They go through a heartache. They go through a financial difficulty and they get stuck. They find a certain career that they hate, but because they like consistency and comfort, don't get stuck, Mr. Reynolds. Don't get stuck, Stephanie, Rick. That's what we do. And God will show up in our lives in a way that we didn't think he would. Why does he do it? To disturb you, to keep you moving. God oftentimes shows up and forms in our lives to disturb us out of our comfort zone. This is so funny to me as a minister, and I've done this too. We go to Christ for stability. Come on, can I get an amen? I mean, we don't come to him because we want more chaos in our lives. We want peace. We want our marriage to be right. We want all our kids serving the Lord. I mean, does everybody feel the same way? I mean, I want everything to line up with God's word, everything to be peaceful. How's that been working? there's at least one thing in our lives that are not, are not going the way that we want it to. Would everybody agree with that? But then I started finding out that he's an expert, God. He's an expert. As soon as I get comfortable, he walks on the sea in a ghostly form and he disturbs my comfort. Right when you get the right amount of savings, spend your money on the whole church. Don't ask for an offering. Right when you get comfortable at your career, the Lord starts 
telling you to sow time into the ministry or right when you find yourself, you know, in a comfortable position, God says, I want you to give that up. Am I the only one that God asks crazy stuff to? Is there anybody in the room who can identify at least? I just need to know if this is landing to some degree. God will, will, will wait for you. Just He doesn't even wait for you to stay on. He just waits right to the moment, almost like he times it, just like he timed it with the disciples. The fourth watch of the night. Perfect timing. Yeah, this is when witches and warlocks pray. I'm going to really freak you guys out now because I want to disturb you out of your comfort zone. God will wait and wait until you get your nice, good, ah, I'm there. Yep, now you're... We're going to change things. We're going to shift things. Now I'm doing a new thing, says the Lord. I'm going to strengthen your cords. I'm going to lengthen your stakes. You thought you were going to stay forever, and I'm calling you to move. Now you thought you were going to move, and now I'm asking you to stay. He will always ask you to do what bothers you and what confounds your comfort zones. And here's what I found out about God. He will give you everything except one thing. He won't give you sin. He won't give you unrighteousness. We know that. But he'll never create a life of comfort for you ultimately. Yeah. When you have it, he'll ask you to give it. When you're finally there, he'll ask you to go somewhere else. When you finally learn to just love as a Christian, other people who love you, then he's going to ask you to love somebody who's not lovable. This is the nature of God. Why? It's because he's stretching our wineskin. He's stretching, he's enlarging our capacity to be more like Jesus. Reinhard Bonnke said this. I love Reinhard. He's my favorite. He said, you know what God's reward for good work is? Like doing a good job? More work. I understand that. Scripture. I have to be scriptural. Like we're super spiritual here, but we're like biblically sound. We don't do weird here. You know, has to line up with God's word, right? Amen. Come on, say Amen. And he gets really upset about people who get comfortable. To him who has one talent, he took that talent away because they buried it. But the guy who had two, who was faithful with the two, he gave him more. And then Jesus goes on. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? When he was faithful with the two, God multiplied, gave him two more. He earned two, and then God made him a ruler over a city. And the guy who had five and was faithful with five, he gave him more because him who much is given, much is. Yeah, God will always stretch us. How do I know you're in the will of God? Look at somebody and say, you want to know how to know? Look at him, like with conviction. Try to look prophetic too. Like, you know, just even if you're not, even if it's a little pathetic, just kind of look. I slid that in. So you want to know how you know? You want to know how I know you're in the will of God? Because you're uncomfortable. Because you're being stretched. Doesn't Jesus know what it's like to be stretched? It was good when the healings were happening. I know why he said, let this cup pass, not fully, but I understand to a degree, let this cup pass. Like there's got to be another way. Why the stretch? Because God is always calling us out of our comfort zone. His ministry was exploding 
Thousands of people were showing up. And right when Jesus finally hit the pinnacle of what humanity would call or corporate would call success, God says, now I'm going to stretch you. The disciples on Jesus' coattail, watching all the healings, watching all the ministries, and now he says, now I want you to go by yourself to the other side. I want you to, I want you to do this. Go to the other side. And he stretches them in the middle of a storm and exposes all the weaknesses on the inside of them, their mistrust, their dysfunction. And I found out, like what the mother eagle does, I just need a few, four, few more moments. Can I have a, just a couple more minutes of your time? Is this worthy to be able to just, can I just a little bit more? Terry, a little longer. It's my Pentecostal friends. I grew up in a predominantly African-American church. You better stop because I'll do the shuffle. I studied, quit James. I started studying the eagle. Me and my wife, we love, that's my best friend. She's my best friend. We like the same stuff and stuff. We do, don't we? That's kind of weird. I still don't see why you don't, why you don't see things blue like I do. And I, you want me to see things pink. We're just, we're still working on it though. You know, you know, the, you never heard that, you know, seeing through blue glasses and pink, rosy colored. Anyway, I started, we were out yesterday. I get one day off a week, just one. And I, I very much enjoy it. And I like to be on the water. I like to watch birds. I mean, when I go home at night, if it's not like watching church TV, I just want to watch like Earth. You know the show Earth? I love, that's my thing. Like I don't want to do anything. I want to watch how birds live and fish swim and species of animals. I just love that kind of stuff. I get all kinds of sermons out of it. I love watching eagles. I'm like 80 years old on the inside. You're not 80. Don't look like that, Rick. I'm not picking on you. And uh, I like to watch eagles. Uh, you know, sometimes when I'm working on a customer's house, many of you know what I do for a living, but uh, by vocational, I watch eagles and things like that. But one thing you will see, like there was a large eagle lit up in that tree when we were working on that project re recently. And you will see the mother get really irritated and start bringing like extra sticks and stuff. And what they'll do is they'll do that to, to, to create discomfort for the eaglet. It will start to uh, dismember the nest. Now, the mom's not changing homes. It's just disrupting the nest because, because the bird <clears throat> doesn't want to flap its wings. And, and the only way for it to flap his wings is for the thing to take flight. And so what the mother, the mother eagle will do is get really sharp branches. Did you know that? I was, I was studying this. Really sharp. You know how they normally flatten it? No, mom will start picking up the sticks and making them look sharp and, and poke the eaglet and allow it to poke to disturb the eaglet's comfort zone. And then what it does, and it's all throughout the scripture. We know Jesus is referred to in the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah as a mother eaglet. Okay. We know God's not a woman. He's not a gender. He's God. He's creator of all, right? His form that he displayed himself was through Jesus Christ. We know that which was male and gender, but that's a whole nother theological teaching. But God in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11 says, now as an eagle, stirs up the nest for your reference as a mother eagle stirs up the nest hovering over its young spreading out its wing taking them up and carrying them on its wings and what that mother eagle will do is it will disturb the nest 
to get the eaglet to fly. But we know that the, eagle cannot, the eaglet cannot fly. But mother will drop the eaglet and bears the eaglet up on its wings just before the eaglet hits the ground and then does the process over and over and over again. What is God doing in many of our lives? Disturbing our nest, dropping us, and we're like, and you know, you look at the eaglet looking at mom, and this eaglet is looking like mom is just out of her absolute, she's off her rocker, she's lost it. She's kicking me out of the house. That's how we feel about God, is we say, God, what are you doing? You're disrupting my comforts. You're, you're, dis, you're messing with my finances. You're, you're, this is the only job I got, and God's like, I got a better one. Now, you got to keep the spouse, okay? You got to keep her. It's cheaper to keep her. It's cheaper, ain't it? And Mr. Reynolds, it's cheaper. And then you got to do it all over again. It's exhausting. Don't do it. Just keep her. Keep him. Look, look, husbands, look at her and say, I'm staying. Look, she just looked at him and said, you're going to do your own laundry, though. I'm just kidding. I'm having too much fun. God will disturb your faith to grow it. It's what he's doing, body of Christ. It's what he's doing, Christian. It's what he's doing, man of God, woman of God. He's disturbing your comforts to grow you. And God will use any measure to grow you. He will. And you know what I found out on the other side of it? When you invite him on your boat, this has been an ongoing thing for me when I finally get muster up enough strength to let God do it his way, because he'll keep at it. He neither grows weak nor tired. He doesn't give up easily. He doesn't relent. When I finally let him on my boat, when Peter, James, John, the disciples, let him on the boat, they immediately were where they were supposed to be. It's almost like God saying, just, just let me do it my way. We'll get there quicker. Yeah. Right. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. If, if we just surrender, if we, it's all, it all has to do with surrender. I've got halfway through this. I'm not going to get there. But all we have to do is surrender. Can you just stand to your feet for just a moment? So here's how we, what we have to do in closing. This landed with some of you. So they see a ghost. So here's my ultimate challenge. Will you do this for me? Will you do this for me? I'm asking, you can like respond. Okay. They see a ghost because they're looking at Jesus through the trouble. And it distorts his view. And that's why you have to be careful not to focus on the trouble. Because it will distort God. It distorts his nature. And it makes him look like a ghost, like I said before. Does everybody, is that established? You have to, if you look at this thing long enough, whatever it is you're facing, it doesn't matter what it is. 
There's so many different needs represented here. I'm preaching to myself. But if you look long enough, and you can do what this last point is, and it's, it's called looking beyond the surface. Whatever dysfunction you're facing, whatever decision, help me out, Joel, whatever decision you have to face, if you, if you look at this thing long enough, stare at it. That, you know, that's what I do with the Bible these days. I can look at a verse of scripture, 15 minutes, just read that verse over and over. I just, I just look at it. I read it. I digest it. Close my eyes. I pray on it. I just read it again. It's because I'm trying to get beyond the surface of it. My flesh, when your flesh sees something at first, it doesn't, it can't get the full glimpse of God. When you're looking at your situation, you can't just look at it and you can't see God immediately in that difficulty. You have to stare at it for a while. If they just looked and saw a ghost, but I'm challenging you this morning to look deeper, closer, looking beyond the surface. What is God trying to do in you? What is he trying to work out of you? What, what kind of trust is he trying to establish in your heart? What, what, is he try, what, what is he trying to fix that was fractured in you as a little girl or a little boy? What, these situations continue to arise and bring up the mistrust and bring up the triggers again. And Jesus is wanting to do surgery. How you see Jesus in a storm is your real Jesus. Amen. Write that one down for me because I want to remember that. I'm saying that funny, but it's so true, isn't it? Isn't it so true? Isn't it so true? The way that we feel at our worst, how we feel about God and see God, that is the true Jesus. Everybody can praise and shout and hoop and holler when the bills are paid and everything is going right. But do you know who he is to me? Oh, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I've had a whole lot more troubles than I've had comforts. David said it like this, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If, I, if I'm out in the middle of the sea in the uttermost parts of the earth, behold, you are there. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. How else will you know God fully until you understand him both as being good, both in the troubled times and in the good times? The God of the valley the God of the mountaintops. Same God who allows you to do have smooth sailing on the lake of glass. It's the same God in the middle of the storm. I don't know about you, but I want to come to this place where I can say, blessed be the name of the Lord in every situation. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer, my earnest, my most earnest prayer for every person under the sound of my voice is that you might know him in every season of your life and you wouldn't see him as a ghost 
you wouldn't see him as some kind of foreign object or circumstances. You would see this is God trying to bring you close to his heart and heal some things in you, remove some things in you to establish his character in you. That's my prayer. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.